Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Top Tottenham. There's lots on the agenda today with only six days left until the January transfer deadline. So we'll be talking all things transfers and that's both incomings and outgoings at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. We'll also be reflecting on some of these disappointing 2-0 defeat at Chelsea. So without further ado, Alistair Gold, you are here as usual, Ali. How are you, first of all? I'm good, thank you. Yes, it's. I think it's wonderful that we've chosen Adama Traore's birthday to record this podcast on. Very fitting as uh, he is going to crop up. I understand that you uh, sent a crate of Johnson baby oil to his house, uh, <laughs> which is not as dodgy as it sounds. <laughs> but in preparation of his uh, potential move to uh, Tottenham, we definitely say potential right now, but we're going to get into that as this podcast goes on. Yeah, I think all eyes are going to be on Adama Traore this week as Spurs look to get some deals over the line as it stands. Nothing as yet. Good one. <laughs> right, before we get on to transfers, I think we'll uh, we'll talk about the Chelsea match on Sunday Disappointing 2-0 defeat, really. It was Antonio Conte's first defeat as Tottenham manager in the Premier League. Spurs, you know, really did frustrate Chelsea in the first half. Didn't really lay a glove on them in terms of uh, attacking Chelsea in the final third. But they caused problems for them. And unfortunately, two minutes into the second half, Hakim Ziyech curled in. A brilliant goal. And then, I think it was about eight minutes later, Thiago Silva scoring. So... You were at Stamford Bridge. Do you want to just give us your thoughts on the performance, first of all? Well, do you know what? Even, even before I do that, I was going to ask you a question. Do you feel, and this is my impression, I don't think there's ever been more of an inferiority complex from Tottenham when it comes to Chelsea. I really feel this season, I mean, this is the fifth match, isn't it, if you include the pre-season friendly they've played against Chelsea. I just feel like every game... The fans, the players on the pitch, the management, just being this feeling of, oh, they're better than us. And I just really, Sunday, I just felt it so much, even turning up at the game and obviously kind of had a heads up what the team was going to be. And it was a bit like, oh, it was just this really weird mood. Um, and Conte, look, I get why he's being very honest about how he feels about the level of the squad. And I get there's also a message to be sent to the owners by talking about the squad and the very important huge gap, as he keeps telling us, between Tottenham and Chelsea. But I just do feel it feeds into this whole thing about Tottenham and Chelsea when they get on the pitch. And I just feel like Tottenham in the five games, other than the second half in a few of those games where Chelsea have either taken off players, stepped down the gears, whatever, Spurs have looked a world away from them. But I don't know whether they really should. Like, I mean, we've seen Brighton twice in recent weeks take points of Chelsea. We've seen Wolves take points of Chelsea. We've seen Everton, struggling side this season, also take points of Chelsea. Um, I'm sorry, but Spurs, even with this squad that has apparently suddenly become one of the worst ever, there's no reason they shouldn't believe that they can do something against Chelsea. And I just felt that on Sunday. I don't think I've ever gone into a London derby with such a kind of a low feeling of, of belief, I guess, and confidence in what Tottenham could do. I just felt that immediately was out there on the pitch. And I just realised I actually started this as a question to you. It ended up being a bit of a rant. But yeah, I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, looking back at a few of the performances this season, I think someone pointed out on Twitter, was Spurs' best performance against Chelsea the first half in the league game uh, when Nuno was manager, potentially, because, I mean, they played well in the first half and then it was just like chalk and cheese 
after yeah. the break. But for me, I mean, you're looking at Chelsea's past few results and you're thinking, if there's a time to play Chelsea, surely this is the best time to be playing them at the moment because they've just been drawing a lot of games and it was a bit like, well, Chelsea might actually be looking over the shoulder now due to this bad run because previously they looked like they've gone to uh, tie up a top three finish. But yeah, I mean, Spurs' record isn't great there, is it? All over the past 30 years, last league win was 2018 when Delhi scored those two goals. So yeah, I think a lot of people probably always go to Stamford Bridge expecting to lose. But I think on Sunday as well, I think you've just got to take in the team selection into consideration because there was a lot of injury doubts really following that Leicester game. Oliver Skip, who's pretty much a certain start for Tottenham at the moment, was on the bench. Uh, Lucas Mora as well. And you were just looking at that midfield. Matt Doherty, right wing. Brian Sessignon, left wing. Winks and Hoiberg uh, in the middle. Not the best lineup to go. And, and you know, would things Nuno, be... Nuno and Jose have got absolutely slaughtered for that lineup, do you think? Yeah, possibly. I think Jose definitely will have done. Eight defenders. <laughs> Eight defenders are going from two attackers. I mean, Jose got slaughtered, was it what? Two years ago when it was pretty much a back five at Chelsea. Yeah, and they're all uh, back, they? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think things probably could have been different if that disallow goal uh, counted, but that's uh, it, it just didn't happen. Uh, yeah, I think every Spurs fan probably knows what's going to happen when they go to Stamford Bridge. Just a day to forget, really. Unfortunately, uh, following some, you know, some really good results in the league of late for them on the Conte. Yeah, yeah, it just it was that formation was a. It was. I mean, it it was like you say. It was driven by the injuries, and they were. You know, we can't overlook that. There were some of those players that came off the bench who were really struggling, and you could see that even when they came off the bench. Lucas essentially came on and could barely do anything. and there's that, but I just, I don't know. I just kind of felt that there was this we're beaten already attitude. And I felt that just permeated in everything they did. It was almost with Conte, it was a bit like, let's just get through this stupid match. <laughs> let's get through this stupid break. Hopefully you give me some new signings. I'll get players back. I'll get the likes of Son and Romero back. And I'll actually have a squad that we can then go on and do something. Um, hopefully that is the case. But yeah, it's kind of felt most the game was written off before it started. And uh, yeah, I mean, there were a few little bright spots. I thought Steven Bergwijn was decent again. I thought he looked like a man who had a massive confidence boost that we know he had. I felt he actually really showed what Conte said about him as a, another striker. I felt he held the ball up really well. There was numerous occasions when he took the ball on his chest, turned and sprinted away. And there was one that, remember, Silver got yellow for hacking him down. Someone else got um, did quite a bad foul on him. I thought we were actually going to lose Bergwijn because they threw an injury on that one. But he did pretty well. He just had a couple of shots that he probably should have done better with. Um, I thought Kane played quite well on the day again after his very good performance against Leicester. Then maybe you're looking at probably Lloris, not too much he could do about the two goals. I think he made quite a few saves. Dyer, I think he had a bit of a rusty, shaky start. But as the game wore on, I think he kind of brought a little something to the back line. He, that little bit of calm. Um, and obviously, he can play a ball out of defence, which helps as well. Other than that, I'm struggling to look for positives. You know, I really am. Not anyone else. You know, the two wingers, Doherty and Sessegnon, Yes, they're more defensively minded, but this was a day when I felt that they could have shown something and neither did. I mean, you could argue that Cessna could have ended up with an assist had Harry Kane's goal stood. But, um, I mean, I suppose Conte was... I asked Conte afterwards about the, the performance and those decisions from the ref, and he was... Funny, he was he was annoyed at the Kane decision, the disallowed goal, and he said he actually admitted he said to the referee, politely, as he said about it, but actually he was more annoyed at the yellow card for Tanganga because he felt that that then really influenced how Tottenham could operate down that side of the pitch. He had to sub Tanganga eventually. He felt that that shouldn't have been. 
I would have thought he'd been more annoyed as well also about the, the Eric Dyer in quote marks foul that led to Chelsea's second goal because I've watched that back so many times. And I've had people tell me it was a clumsy foul. I still can't see the foul. I still think he goes in and takes the ball and the player just kind of flops to the ground. Um, but yeah, I mean, the disallowed goal, what's your verdict on it? Uh, I think it'd be extremely frustrated if you're uh, connected with Tottenham. Having looked at it again, I can probably see why it maybe is given because there's an arm in the back. Is it enough to send Thiago Silva, you know, crashing down to the ground? I don't know, but I can see why it perhaps is given. Uh, I mean, Matt Doherty was interviewed after the game and he was asked about the disallowed goal and he actually said the decision actually came from the linesman, even though the referee was five yards away. Uh, yeah, I thought it was extremely harsh and, and Conte said exactly the same, didn't he, in his post-match press conference saying if it was in Italy, maybe 50-50 decision. But for uh, what what was the word he actually used? For the, uh, the, the, the decision uh, over it being disallowed here, I can't remember what he actually said. Um... I can't remember, remember being a specific word, but I remember him saying that he, you know, yeah. he had a chat with the referee. Um, oh, incredible. Yes, Kept that was an incredible, incredible decision. decision. Yes. So, yeah, for me, I thought it was extremely harsh and, you know, the game could have panned out so differently if it had stood. And, you know, Tottenham players made the case to the referee at halftime. I think Davinson Sanchez, uh, Jaffa Tanganga and Kane were around him. And then before the restart, showed on the Sky cameras, uh, I think with Ben Davis-Kane and Ryan Mason as well, having a, a word with the referee about the decision. So, yeah, very unfortunate for me. For you, foul, no foul? You know, it's one of those where you can see why it was given as a foul. You can see his hands on his back. You can see the player's gone. And funnily enough, one of the um, Chelsea regular reporters... Like off behind me during the game, I heard them saying after that incident, like, "Well, you know, Harry Kane does that all the time and wins cheap free kicks. It's, you know, it's it's like a karma thing. You know, you can't really complain if sometimes it goes the other way." And I was like, oh, "Is that really a way? That don't think, think that really justifies referee decisions." Um, I'd say probably the moment he put his hands on his back, it was likely to be called. I think when you see it in slow motion, you can see it's really not a push. It's very much a, ah, I've got a hand on my back. And he goes down, movie reference here, platoon style, which you probably won't get. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those where, do I really think it defined the game? Do I think, I think it certainly could have been a slightly different game. I still probably don't feel that Spurs would have gone on to win it, if I'm completely honest. Because I still feel that, like I say, there's just this thing at the moment with Chelsea and there's like a, a mental block there. But yeah, it, it could have been a different game, certainly. Um, it was a surprising one because, you know, we're always told that even if there's not an official VAR check that we see happening, VAR does always look at stuff very briefly. So the referee is instantly told. So clearly they must have immediately said, no, there's no clear and obvious error there. Um yeah, it's a surprising one. Like I say, I really don't think it's the be-all and end-all, but I can understand why people are getting quite annoyed about it. Shall we move on to Conte's team selection? Obviously, we're only going to briefly talk about the Chelsea game today rather than go on for about 40 minutes as everyone wants to talk about <laughs> no transfers. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's fair to say the team selection uh, raised a few eyebrows ahead of the game, especially in terms of the players who were left out of the squad. No surprise, no Tongi on Dembele. Again, he's not been in the plan since that marking game, what was two weeks previous. Uh, no Deli Ali. That was confirmed a few hours ahead of kickoff that he wouldn't be involved. But then when the team news came out at 3.30, the surprise was no Giovanni Lo Celso in the squad at all. It was... Harvey White, who took his place in the squad, and given the fitness issues uh, surrounding a number of the players, I think Lo Celso's selection was uh, quite a big talking point, and he 
on Instagram a few minutes later, uh, had his say on the selection, basically said he's 100% fit, was feeling well. Uh, I have it in front of me, so I can read out exactly what he said. He said, Go on then. regarding the questions I received, I would like to clear out that I am 100% in good physical condition. I have no problem and I feel very well. I wish the best to my team in the derby today. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I didn't Conte's decision to leave him out speaks volumes, really, that basically Lo Celso just isn't in his plans and potentially January move could be on the cards with six days to go in the transfer window. So, I mean, Joe, tell us your thoughts on Lo Celso's omission from the squad, first of all. Um, there's a little bit of surprise, I've got to admit. I kind of felt that those three attacking midfielders that clearly are kind of being bombed out, I kind of felt he was the one that maybe fitted Conte better. I feel he's, a, he's an aggressive player. He works hard. He can also be creative, but also tracks back and makes tackles. And I kind of felt that that fits the, the Conte way. Um, but clearly he's just decided that, you know, these three players, that's that. They're, I've evaluated the squad. Those three, I'm happy to move on. I kind of, you always fear with the way Tottenham operates that at least one, if not more of those players are going to have to be assimilated awkwardly back into the squad once the transfer window closes. Because it is all very well saying, I want to get rid of this player. But then we know with experience, painful experience, that Tottenham struggled to get players out that the manager doesn't want. Um, Lascelles has an interesting one. I keep uh, getting told... Um, I did this, was it yesterday morning? I put this in my piece that Sevilla apparently are interested in taking him back to La Liga. Um, again, it depends on the financial package and how much they can afford. Obviously, they've just brought in Martial, haven't they? Or about to bring in Martial. Um, so, finance wise, where they're at with that. Um, I think, wasn't there talk of them also trying to bring Brian Hill as well? It's like they're clearly uh, <laughs> scouting around the English clubs right now. It's, you know, this is a transfer window with, I think we're going to see a lot of loan moves. I don't think finances are really flying around post-pandemic. I think you're going to see a lot of loan moves. Whether loan moves help Tottenham this month is another thing. I think they're, you know, some of the players that they want, I don't know whether they'd be able to get on loan, whether they want them on um, permanent. But um, I suppose if you just look at wages, I mean, if you were to get La Celso, Deli and Tongi out the door, you're looking at more than way more than half a million a week off your wage bill, which in itself, perhaps financially, that frees things up. Um, yeah, a little bit surprised at Geo um, and the manner in which it's being done. You know, having Harvey White on the bench, um, I don't know. Some might say it's kind of cutting your nose off to spite your face, just like I want him out, but actually on the day, could he have been helpful, you know? I suppose there's also the fear that if he got injured, and we know he likes well, he likes to get injured, but he has a history of getting injured. So would that put off any deal if he managed to get himself injured, which may still happen as he's going off with Argentina? Um, although we're trying to think, does their first game? I think it does come before the end of the month, doesn't it? It would be. I think it would be the weekend. I, I imagine so, because yeah. I mean, they're so behind in terms of their World Cup qualifiers. I imagine they'll have three games over the two weeks at the maximum yeah. uh so yeah i mean i was going to mention that to you surely from a tottenham point of view going to chelsea you want to name your strongest squad so surely geo's in that squad but then is it a case of we don't want him and delhi involved just in case there is an injury and then that potentially stops yeah. a, a january move true but then I don't know why Lacelso then came out with his Instagram statement. It's um, yeah, it's 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 the, the thing that maybe surprises the most as well is that when we were, I was asking um, Conte about Bergvine, was it last week? He said about how special he is because Spurs don't have many creative players, and then in the next match, <laughs> you know, we know that they're trying to get three of their only creative central midfielders out the door, um, all three of them. Which also leads me to think, do you not have to replace them? Because the people that we seem to be aware that and the positions they're looking at, they're not really creative players that are coming in. 
you know, this could end up being the most workmanlike Tottenham squad we've ever seen in the history of the club. Um, yeah, it's a funny one. The Celso, I like the Celso. I, I like some of the moments he's done, but when you look at it in a cold, harsh light, a day, 110 million or so all in for him and Tongi. Have they produced anywhere near what players of that kind of standard and value should produce? No, of course they haven't. The Celso, you know, injuries have fragmented what he's done. He's never really become a regular starter for a long period of time. Same with Tongi. And I guess Conte is going to be brutal. Perhaps that's what Tottenham need, but it's uh, it's really is that that summer of 2019, which you know we all at the time thought what really exciting young players were brought in. My word! I mean, you look at. Tongi heading out the door, probably. Um, Lo Celso heading out the door, probably. Ryan Sessegnon still not a regular in the team. Jack Clark in the under-23s. Wow, what a summer. And to be fair, most of those players, Poch really wanted. You know, and everyone knows I'm a big Poch fan for what he did at Tottenham. I thought he did some wonderful things. But that summer, he really pushed to get Tongi. Um, I understand he, you know, really liked the Celso as well. Jack Clark, obviously, is not a Poch signing. There's no way we can chuck Jack Clark on on Poch. Uh, Ryan Sessegnon was one that, to be fair, I think everyone wanted Ryan Sessegnon. He was one of the talented young players in England. Um, but it's just ended up being an utter disaster that window. And they spent some money. You know, what's that? That's about 150 million pounds worth of players in that window. And none of them have become thus far regulars at Tottenham. And we're probably going to see three of them leave this window. Which is just, that's a damning indictment of that transfer window. I've said it numerous times about like Lo Celso and, and Don Belli on the podcast that because you've not seen the best of them, you surely couldn't be going into next season thinking like, is this going to be the season we finally see the best of them? What yeah, would be their fourth season at the club? So I always felt, this coming summer would be very important in terms of what happens with those two players. Never expected maybe for the Spurs to cast them aside in, in January. Uh, but I mean, potentially you probably could get away without replacing them in the final few months of the season, just given their limited game time. They just don't play and there's just no place for them in Conte's system in the 3-4-3. Three, three. Yes, in the they go three five two. All three of them have played as a midfield three. Yeah, I felt the Celso was starting to get minutes from the bench, and I felt like as a squad game, I think maybe he's the one they'll miss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think if you're bringing in a central midfielder, which hopefully they will do, do you want a central midfielder as well who is creative? and can chip in with the goals because they are going to need some creativity in the middle because past few weeks, it's really been Harry Winks in midfield who's, you know, yeah. got a, an assist or two, created chances. So, yeah, sad end to obviously like the Celso and, and Don Belly's time at the club if they do get the moves away. I think for La Celso, I mean, yes, injuries haven't helped, but what also might not have helped him is his versatility. That might have just worked against him, given he has just played numerous roles across the midfield, even played across the front three at times. So he just never had the opportunity to nail down a regular place in the team. And that's But he does for Argentina, and he gets yeah. brave abuse. And maybe that's the difference. He plays on the left of that midfield three for Argentina, and maybe that's where Spurs should have used him. Yeah, I mean, everyone was raving about him when he came to the club just because he had that such a good season at Real Betis. And mm. the same with uh, Tongi as well, you know, doing really well at Leon. And you look at that summer of 2019 and you're thinking now, you know, if the four of them are to move on at some point, how much is Spurs actually going to bring in? Because yeah. you've got Jack Clark now who costs 10 million he will be entering the final 18 months of his contract now. He's not even made a Premier League squad whilst he's been at Tottenham. He's yeah. gone out three times on loan and done nothing of note. Yes, he was unfortunate at Stoke last year where he, so he got Stokey, that injury. Stoke, he was getting a fair bit of praise. I think Michael O'Neill really liked him as well, didn't he? He's, yeah, he's it's just that injury. 
that injury yeah. really, you know, he's stopped really him. Never had a chance, has he? He's been. That was such a weird deal because, like, I remember reporting at the time it was kind of Spurs were looking at him or Jared Bowen, and obviously in hindsight it looks ridiculous that the decision they made. But I don't think that's any reflection on Jack Clark. I just, just think he's kind of almost been buried in the academy. He was a player that I always got the impression that Poch never felt was ready, which is why he had that kind of rushed loan back to Leeds when they had too many loan players. It was a complete mess. Um, everything I hear about him from training, everyone always says he's the fittest, one of the fittest players at the club. He really works incredibly hard. But for some reason, none of the managers have really gone beyond that. And, you know, he's just had a couple of European and FA Cup um, appearances, hasn't he? That's about it. Um, I do I do feel a bit sorry. He's only a young guy, um, but just a bizarre transfer, really. In the end, it's, on paper, it was a classic Tottenham deal, a young player maybe for the future. But definitely thus far, he, he needs to get out there. He needs to kind of rebuild his career. And uh, I know there's been some links with Sunderland. Um I don't think that's quite as advanced as kind of some are making out, but hopefully, hopefully he gets out in the window because it's just essentially it's like buying a toy and putting it on a shelf and just gathers dust and it's of no real use to anyone. Um, it's probably the first time Jack Clark's ever been referred to as a toy, but you know, it's yeah, I, I don't like it. It's it's, a, it's it's like a rubbish version of Chelsea stockpiling players. <laughs> it's like Spurs can't afford to stockpile any players. Um, it's just been a just a waste of everyone's time, which is such a shame. Yeah, he's he's twenty one though. He's got his whole career ahead of him. Yeah. He just needs a move for the sake of his own career, just to get it back on track. Because unfortunately for Jack, it's just not going to work for him at Tottenham. And I mean, we've seen that with Dylan Mark and they having to move to Blackburn because you've got what, Lucas Son, Stephen Bergwijn, Brian Hill. Yeah. yeah, we should just say, poor old Dylan, if anyone's not aware, pretty much was it his first game or second game or, or in training? I can't remember how he did it, but... First game, yeah. Yeah, he's done his... Is it his hamstring? He's done a hamstring pretty bad injury. And I think he might even... He's going to be out for a fair old few months, I think. What a nightmare. For, finally gets his first team football and that happens. It's just, unfortunately, the way the football fates work sometimes. Right, let's move on to another one of the 2019 summer signings, Tongi on Dembele. Will he be a PSG player come this time next week, do you think? Um, I don't think it's quite as advanced. Again, another one that's not really as far down the line as, as is being made out. I think there's still compromises to be made, um, probably on both sides and with the player as well. I think it's one that Let's be honest, I think we're at a point where everyone wants to just get it done. Um, you know, as one of Tongi's biggest fans, it's very difficult to continue to justify, you know, a player who every single manager at some point has now had some kind of issue with or not wanting to play, um, other than Poch. Obviously, Poch was a bit different. Um, Poch wanted him a lot, and then he had all those little kind of annoying injuries, didn't he, towards the end of Poch's kind of end of his tenure. But, and this is perhaps why, you know, a, a reunion with Poch is probably the best things for his career. I just I just feel with Tongi, we're at this stage now where we're constantly talking about it's, this kind of almost a desire to play the game how he wants to play it rather than how the team needs him to play it. And I get that when you're incredibly gifted like he is, there must be this temptation to just feel that you, the way you do it is the right way to do it. But, how many managers, how many clubs, how many different places can he be where there's these question marks around him? Um, I just hope he doesn't waste this incredible natural gift he's got. Um, and yeah, like I say, a few compromises still need to be made, I think, for that to happen. Um, but if there's anyone in the game who will be able to coax the best out of him, I would think Poch would be that man. He clearly doesn't really doesn't really respond to the tough love kind of way of doing it. Although, to be fair to Jose Mourinho, I think he probably got the best out of him for that um, that prolonged period in um, it was last season, wasn't it? It was a, a fair old uh, period of last season. But, yeah, I think you can tell. I'm going to be gutted, clearly. It's going to be... Uh, 
<laughs> I feel like every week we have a little chat about Tongi at some point. So I'm, I would be very sad when I do, see him doing, because we'll only probably see the highlights. We'll probably only see the incredible things he does in Liga and if he goes there. Um, especially for PSG, you know, Tongi with Neymar, Mbappe, Messi. It is absolutely ridiculous if we get to see that on the pitch. And some of the football they play will be absolutely incredible. So I can understand why Poch wants him. Um, but yeah, it will be a shame. I know a lot of people have now kind of turned against him, especially with that slow walk against Morecambe and all of that. And I, I get the frustration. I get the fact that we've never, ever seen his best. But um, yeah, no, I'll be sad to see him go. I will. Are you reimbursing everyone then who signed up for a Tangi on the Belly membership card? To be fair, it was free. It was all just <laughs> the love of Tongi. Um, those, you know, send your laminated membership cards back, and uh, we'll uh, <laughs> maybe send out a Dharma Truro ones. But I, I won't be the president of that club. I have to give that one to someone else. Um, yeah, it's sad. It's sad, but that's football. It doesn't always work out. You can be the most gifted player in the world, and I'd probably say he still is the most talented player on the ball at Tottenham Hotspur, Tongi. But in the end. That's not enough on its own. You've got to have a hell of a lot more to your game to be a top, top, top footballer. I think it'll suit him if he goes back to France. Obviously, he did so well there at Lyon, came to the attention of a number of clubs, but it's going to be hard for him to get into that uh, PSG midfield because there's a number of very good options there. And Jorginho Wijnaldum is one of them who uh, moved from Liverpool on the free transfer in the summer. And... He's been in and out of the team uh, since he came to the club. I mean, there has been talk of a potential swap deal with Wijnaldum going back in the opposite direction and moving to Tottenham, a club he was previously linked with when Pochettino was manager. Would that be viable? Um, I can see the appeal of it, and I think he'd fit in quite well at Tottenham. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, he, he. I think he's admitted himself. He almost joined after a chat with Poch in 2016. The only thing I'd say, and I can already hear the people's voices when I say this, but it's not a Tottenham profile transfer. It's Tottenham very. You know, when would Tottenham really, very rarely sign a 31 year old who would probably need quite big wages. Um, it's certainly probably not the top wages at Tottenham, but he would be up there among the higher earners. Um, I was trying to think. I think maybe Fernando Llorente was probably one of the older signings they made. And I don't think he was on huge wages. Um, Matt Doherty was 28 when they signed him. Yeah. I get it. And, and the, the reason I said I can understand, I can hear what people are saying now, because people will probably say, and I understand it, well, change the transfer profile it's not working but Tottenham I fear for you know until they start getting the money rolling in from that stadium will be a club that signs young players who retain their sell-on value and also a, maybe a little bit more of a risk a bit of a gamble um when Alden for me I, I don't I struggle to see that at this moment that's not to say it doesn't change as the window goes on but um, I'd be surprised if he is the the midfielder that they end up with. Um, and that's not to say I wouldn't like him there because he was a very good player for Liverpool. Um, I think he's struggled slightly at PSG, hasn't he? I don't think it's really worked out for him as he would have hoped. But, you know, as a player who knows the Premier League and would bring that experience and a, a kind of a, a calm head in the centre of the pitch, I don't think he'd be a bad transfer at all for Tottenham. But, yeah, we'll see on that one. Let's get back to the players who were missing against Chelsea. And the final one is Deli Alley. You know, there's been a lot of talk over the past couple of transfer windows that Deli would be going. And I think this one, it finally looks like he will move on if uh, clubs make a move for him. And for me, he needs to move on as well for the sake of his own career because he's just been so far off his best over the past few years probably since what 2018 world cup he's obviously had hamstring injuries and that would have you know not helped him at all but he just looks a shadow of his former self and two clubs we believe are interested newcastle newcastle united and everton uh two clubs struggling down the bottom of uh, the table at the moment do you think one of those could come off um 
from what I'm hearing at the moment, I think the Everton interest is probably more than Newcastle one. That's that's what I was I was told that yesterday. Um, oh, with Delhi, it's it's another one. It would be sad to see him go, but exactly the same in a way that you know we're now on yet another manager who just doesn't even see him worthy of minutes from the bench, let alone starting matches and. There's no point having a player like that in your team. Um, let him go. Let him get minutes. I think the fact that there hasn't been a rush of suitors queuing up for him, unfortunately, for Delhi, probably says a lot. Um, and I'm sure he's can't be happy at that. Um, it's it's a shame. It is a shame. I always feel for him, and this will always be my opinion on it. That <laughs> it sounds awful. I'm going to about to say it's Son's fault. But it, it's, it's, that sounds really harsh. But what I mean is the best Delhi we saw was the Delhi playing off of Harry Kane, you know, just behind him, running into the box, assists, everything. He was just brilliant. And then Sonny came along and became a star. You know, he absolutely shone. And I think it then became difficult for kind of Delhi and Kane to have that same partnership on the pitch in the same way in the formation because of Sonny. And I think Sonny probably went on to prove, especially in Mourinho's um, second season, that he and Kane were actually an even better partnership together. And I just think it left Delhi without a role. Even Poch towards the end was playing him like out on the left, which didn't really suit him. Um, Mourinho just didn't know what to do with him, quite frankly. He started off trying to play him behind Kane. Um, maybe Sonny had an injury, I can't remember, but I remember him trying to restore that, but it was only brief. Nuno played him in the centre of midfield, didn't he, at the start of the season? Conte's tried him there as well. He's like he's like a player without a position. And I think if he can go to a club where they build some of their attacking ideas around him and he plays just off of a striker, you know, Everton perhaps he plays off of Calvert Lewin. I don't know how that would work there, but he just needs it. He needs a massive restart in his career, you know, to have stumbled and fallen so badly. Um, and everything I got about him, everything I was told about him in the summer, that he really, really worked hard in the summer. Not only when he got into pre-season training, but before that in the summer, he went to Dubai with Carl Walker-Peters, absolutely worked on his fitness. And and um, Nuno said he's one of the fittest players at the club. He's absolutely on top of that. But again, almost like with Tongi. With Tongi, we say the gifted side of the game is not enough. With Delhi, the fitness isn't enough. Um, you know, there's more to it than that as well. And yeah, I, I don't know whether, you know, Everton will come in. I don't know if you believe that there's a space there for him. I mean, let's be honest, any player could probably improve Everton right now because they're going through the, the doldrums right now. Um, do you think he'd fit in well there? Well, I think there's one space uh, because... Obviously, Everton signed Anwar El Ghazi from Aston Villa on loan. And I think in terms of when you're at a Premier League club, you are only allowed two domestic loan deals. Uh, so there's one space there in terms of the starting 11, where he fits in. I don't know, really, because uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison have played up front together before and it's worked well. Whether you just go with Calvert-Lewin up front, play Delhi behind him, then put uh, Rich Allison on the left and then either Anthony Gordon or Damari Gray outright. Yeah, you could do that. Uh, I think Delhi just needs to find a club where, you know, to play with that number 10 role. Because as you said, that position just hasn't been there for him at Tottenham yeah. over the past couple of seasons. And yeah, I thought he did okay there early on in the season under Nuno and the thought he played really well against Liverpool recently in December in that three-man midfield. But Spurs that always play with a three-man midfield under Conte. So it's just no position for him. And, and he's as not I said... A, I was going to say, as, as you mentioned him as a number 10. And he's an unusual number 10 in that he's not a creative, you know, threading through balls through type of number 10. He's very much... He's, Almost a striker, but not quite. He's a, he's a funny kind of player, and I think that's why he's having so many problems adapting. Yeah, so Delhi just needs to find the right club, and you know, fingers crossed he will because he's such a talented player, and you know, he's still what 25, still so much to offer yeah. in the game. He just needs to get back on track. Does should we, should we talk about some transfer incomings now? 
obviously we'll start yes, with <laughs> we'll start with your favorite player Adama Traore yes. I mean what's the latest on the birthday boy He's turned 26 a day six days left until the transfer window I mean there's been so much talk about Traore coming to Spurs all month 25th January still yeah. still not getting there is it no, do you, do you think because he's a year older now? Do you think Spurs will look to get like another million that taken off the transfer fee? Oh, you know he's ancient now, twenty six. Um, right, Dharma Shorore, where to start? It's such a it's such a Tottenham transfer chase. This, you know, um, everything we're hearing from each side of the deal. There's three different sides to this deal, and all of the noises are different. You know. What's coming out of Wolves is that there was a £15 million made, uh, bid made by Spurs that was rejected, uh, but there's a confidence that the move will go through and Triore will, will head off to North London. Um, those around Triore believe that a move is close and it's just kind of the final stage has got to be done. Tottenham, the noises from within Tottenham are that there's been talks, yes, but no official bid has been made for him as of yet. Um it just, it just, it is mind blowing that a player who Tottenham have wanted for the last two transfer windows, the fee certainly this window has been very clear. It's twenty million. That's exactly what Wolves are looking for. That's that's the figure. Why that hasn't been wrapped up weeks ago, I have no idea. Um, this is very much a Fabio Paratici-driven signing. He's a player that he really likes. He wanted him at Juve. Apparently, made a big bid for him when he was at Juve and uh, to Wolves. There's the um, Jorge Jorge Mendes links. You know, it's obviously he's a Mendes player, Gestafute, um agency. Um, Mendes and Paratici, you know, have a good relationship. You know, they've, they've broken other deals and including that big Ronaldo to Juventus deal back in the day. I don't know why we're still here on the 25th of January, wondering why this player has not come to Tottenham yet. The player apparently wants to come to Tottenham. It just, and this is why, this is why the, the club really can't have any shock at why fans get frustrated because it's deals like this. It's a deal that there was so many opportunities to push this through, but they've just held off, they've held off and they've held off. And, you know, the expectation from all sides is still that the deal will happen. But there's got to be a part of you, because it's Tottenham Hotspur, that wonder at last minute, does someone else just come in and just give him a better offer? And he goes, well, you're not coming in for me. Maybe I'll go. You know, there's been, there's been whispers, hasn't there, about maybe Barcelona being even interested in him. So if Barcelona come in for you, do you think, well, they want me, so I'm going to go. And they're, they're making a concerted effort to get me. Um it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating for fans. It's very frustrating for us as reporters because, you know, we could get told from all sides that it's going to happen, it's getting closer. And then you have days like this where all sides seem to be saying slightly different things. Um, you know, you know my opinions on Adama Traore. I, I, do, I do hold the belief that if anyone can improve him, it's Antonio Conte. I think I've seen that already with the players at Tottenham and the things I hear about Conte on the training ground, honestly, I, you'd run out of superlatives. The amount of things that I'm told of what his training sessions are like, the detail that's involved, how specifically he talks to players and works on certain things on their game with them. You know, I have no doubt that Adama Traore will become a better player if he plays for Antonio Conte. The key will obviously be making him a player that fits this right wing-back role that Spurs have apparently earmarked for him because everyone, and I mean everyone at Wolves, have said, wing-back, Adama Traore? <laughs> have you seen him defend? It's been a very clear United voice of, oh my goodness, he cannot defend, that's not going to be a role for him. I think at Tottenham there's a thought process that he will just create such utter chaos the opposing teams, that when you've got the likes of Kane, Son, players like that, um, they will benefit from the extra space when players are naturally drawn across Traore. And I get that. Whether you pay £20 million for a man that creates space is another thing. Um, whether you just look for a, a natural right wing back. I do believe that he'll offer another option to the squad. I think that's fair to say. 
I think he will. He'll be like, you know, like uh, Conte said about Bergwijn being something that they, other characteristics that other players don't. I think that's true about Conte. I think the end product is a huge issue that needs fixing. He clearly has little to no end product, if we're going to be completely honest. I know those who desperately want the deal to happen will will point to the one good season he had. And I've heard some people saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, he hasn't had as good strikers at Wolves and things like that. It's like, well, I don't know if his chances created is particularly that great either. Um, I'd worry slightly for the likes of Bergwijn, who I think is improving a lot and I think just needs a run of games. I'd worry about the development of Brian Hill as well. If Traore does next season end up becoming a uh, a winger rather than a wing back, I don't know how they're going to play it long term. But yeah, God, Adama Traore. I feel like if he signs, we're going to talk about him as much as we talk about Tongi and Dembele. I feel like every week it's going to be, it's probably going to be these guys, it's probably in the first week he's at the club, he's probably going to do something incredible. And everyone's like, wow, look what Adama did in his first match. He set up this amazing goal. And then I think we'll go about 10 matches with like, oh, Adama was a bit disappointing today. And then we'll have another incredible moment he'll do in a match. And it will be a bit like that. Um, but yeah, like I say, very much Fabio Paratici driven. Antonio Conte open to the player joining. It's not like he's being forced on him. You know, we should stress that in this continental setup of a director of football type and a head coach, it is the director of football who pretty much always picks the players to come into the club and their head coach will agree with that. Um, but yeah, Adama Traore, eh? Yachts were mentioned are going to be so good if he has... Uh... Such a good debut for the club, goals oh, and assists. Yeah, yeah, and, and I hope he does. I really hope he does. I, I hope he's an act. Like I say, if anyone can fix him or, or make him a better player, it's Conte. He's got all the attributes. He's got the pace, the power, the skill. He's got so much. He's got the baby oil. You know, he's got absolutely everything going on for him. Um, I just hope Spurs don't wait until the last minute of the transfer window, make a bid, maybe get him in. And then be like, ta-da, you got your transfer. And it's like, no, there's so much more that needs to be done. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Right. Other incomings now. Let's yeah. head to Italy because we said that as soon as Fabio Paratici came in during the summer, that literally every player playing in Serie A would be linked yeah. with a move to Tottenham. More of and his client. Yeah. <laughs> and we have uh, a couple new names. Uh, who've come up in recent days. Obviously, one of them, Weston McKenney at Juventus. He has been linked to a move to Spurs before. Yeah. He's definitely someone Paratici does like because he brought him to Juventus from uh, Schalke in 2020. Would a move this month work or do you think that's going to be one in a few months down the line, maybe in the summer? I mean, could Spurs even go to Juventus do you want Giovanni Lo Celso on loan for the rest of the season? And we'll take McKenney in his place. Well, yeah, they've got to want Giovanni Lo Celso first. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I think, yeah, I think it's one that Spurs will look at in the summer. Pratchy adores Weston McKenney. Took him there from Schalke in the um, 2020. He loves him. And I think the thing that probably counts against Spurs and... Um, Paratici right now is that McKenney's really fitted in at Juventus now. He's having a season where he's starting almost every game. I think he's got four goals this season. Um, scored, I think he scored against Udinese the other day as well. You know, Allegri, from everything it sounds like, doesn't want to let him go. Um, I think, from what I understand, Paratici had some uh, had some talks with his representatives recently about the possibility of coming to Tottenham. Um, I think he'd be a good signing for Spurs. I think he's that kind of box-to-box midfielder there that Conte likes, you know, that, that kind of works within his system. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if Juventus wanted to let him go this month. I think that's one that maybe Spurs will look for in the summer. But he he does fit the Tottenham transfer profile. He ticks all the boxes, really. He's 23, America, USA international which if you're going to be absolutely cynical from the marketing perspective in America is all very good as well. I know people hate that side of it, but unfortunately that's also how football clubs work and think nowadays. Uh, but as a player, as a player, I think he'd fit in really well. But um, 
unless something drastically changes at Juventus, um, I'm not sure it'll be in the next six days. Another player who has cropped up in terms of potential moves to Tottenham is Sofyan Amrabat. He's the younger brother of former Watford player Nardin Amrabat. He's currently at Fiorentina, previously at Hellas Verona. He's a holding midfielder. And I think AC Milan have also been linked with a, a move from this month. He's not been playing a lot this season at Fiorentina. I think it's 11 league appearances in Serie A, one of those coming from the bench. Spurs surely don't need a, another holding midfielder because, I mean, you've got Oliver Skip there, who's a certain starter, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, who also very good in the holding role. Surely this isn't one what Spurs need, even though they will need to strengthen those midfield numbers if, say, Ndombele goes to Celso, Deli Alley as well. Are you saying that this isn't the big summer transfer that everyone was expecting? <laughs> <about>? <laughs> um, yeah, I get the impression this is one who the agents have offered to Tottenham. That's what this one sounds like. Um, I wonder, I feel that this is a player who Tottenham maybe have further down, uh, to be polite, their list of options as a temporary maybe thing, like a loan thing, if they can't get other targets in. Um, yeah, his recent, you know, his recent involvement doesn't make the best of reading for anyone who wants to get excited about a, a, join, a player joining. I think in his first season after coming from Hellas Verona, he, he started a lot of games for Fiorentina, but this season, yes, very much a bit part player. Um, he really would be very much, I don't want to say making up the squad numbers. I don't think we're looking at another Jensen Fernandez type, but I think you can probably fairly say he doesn't come in and immediately put in a shout that he should be starting in that midfield. Um, yeah, I feel like I think we're going to get this a lot in the coming days of people being pushed to club, agents pushing players to clubs, selling clubs, wanting players out the door. And, you know, Tottenham Hotspur are well known now to be a team that are looking for certain players in certain positions. And I think Spurs are going to get linked with everyone going in the next six days, which is going to make our job fun. Um, like I say, Amrabat, I think he'll be one of those if there's no one else available, which is, is an awful thing to say about anyone. But I just think with his situation, I think, like you say, if the Celso and Dembele and Ali all go, then you are leaving yourself light in terms of midfield uh, kind of replenishment. And if, yeah... And this sounds bad to say, but I kind of feel like if you see Amrabat come to Tottenham, then it means that Spurs haven't done what they wanted to do in the transfer window. For me, it's like, well, if he's not good enough to start for Fiorentina in Serie A, why is he then good enough to come in at Tottenham? Because surely if you're bringing in a central midfielder, you want a central midfielder who's gone to start games and improve your midfield. Would Amrabat come in and start? For me, he wouldn't start ahead of Skip. He wouldn't start ahead of Hoybieg. And, you know, Harry Winks has played well recently when he has had the chance in the team. And I'd rather someone like Harvey White get a chance in the squad and potentially get some minutes rather than, you know, bringing in Amrabat. But that's one we'll have to keep an eye on over uh, the next few weeks. Anyway, we'll uh, remain in Florence and we'll stick with Fiorentina and Dusan Vlajevic. He is a player who was heavily linked with Tottenham in the summer. There was talks between the clubs. A deal didn't, you know, come to fruition. Potentially now a move to Juventus on the agenda. I mean, it's going to be for Tottenham, another one, the one that got away. Honestly, I really, and I've said this so many times, I'm sorry if I bore people, I just feel like they really missed the chance last summer. Really did. Um, he was there, I think, to be got. I think they just had to push that bit harder. I, You know, everything I was hearing that it was to play with Kane, but I just kind of almost always got this feeling that the Kane situation was affecting it as well. Um and now you look at it and he's gone and absolutely smashed everyone to pieces in Serie A again. 20 goals in 24 appearances. Um, he is a terrific young player. He's 21. He's made for the Premier League. 
And now, yes, all the the sounds coming out of Italy is that Juventus are going to end up grabbing him in this window. And, oh, Juventus are just going to be ridiculous with him up front as well. Um, yeah, I just, you know, Paratici loves him. He's a player who was the top of the list for Paratici when it came to the strikers. And, yeah. It's you've really these last two, Amrabat and Vlajevic. I think if anyone was feeling wasn't feeling depressed, they'll have got to this part of the podcast and be like, Oh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, oh, him at Tottenham, him up Tottenham with Harry Kane would have been absolutely ridiculous. I think you know, that's that's the three five two with that, or I mean, where you play, I mean, maybe you play Sonny just behind them. You know, oh my goodness! It could have turned turned Sonny into a, you know, a create like a number ten behind them, or just there would be so many options. Tottenham just don't have options. That's their biggest problem now. We were talking about this, weren't we? We um, Gesty and I had a, we had a, a little meeting before this. We were talking to some of our colleagues at Ford at London. We were talking about the fact that Tottenham have such a good eleven when they really get everyone fit. And it is an 11 that can give anyone problems. But once you stretch out, get away from that 11, you're really struggling. And there's so few options to change things up. And this is, I think, what Conte speaks about. Um, And, you know, that's why you go for the likes of Vlajevic. Yes, it's a big money thing. But as soon as you bring in Vlajevic, it raises the level of everyone else on the team. It's, you know, Sonny even doesn't become a certain starter. Uh, starter. Harry Kane doesn't become a certain starter if Vlajevic is doing the business and they want to play a one up front. Just Tottenham never never push their star players. You know, we saw this with Christian Eriksen. Towards the end, Christian Eriksen was kind of, before like the ending, he was playing. He, he wasn't playing well, but there was no one else to replace him. He was still going to start every match under Poch. Um, and this is what Tottenham do, and it's it's very frustrating. It is. Um, but yeah, if he goes to Juventus, I think certainly both sides of North London, North London will be weeping away. We'll uh, stick with the strikers, and that has been uh, another player linked with Tottenham, and that is Mohamed Ali Chow. He plays for Angers in France. Young lad, two goals in 19 appearances this season. There's been talk of a potential 17 million move. This seems more of a Tottenham move, maybe not one for the, the present, but a move for the future. Yeah, it does. It's, it, I feel sorry for this young teenager because obviously we've just spoken about Vlajevic, who is like one of the best young strikers in Europe right now. There's a lot of buzz around, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Mohamed Ali Cho, that you know some people might look at that and say, "Well, oh, two goals in 19 appearances. Ooh, he's a striker." He's, he was 17 like a couple of days ago. He's only recently turned 18. He's very, very young. Um, plays for Angers, who's obviously on one of the big boys. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's he can play up front. He can also play out wide on either flank if needed. Um, I get the impression, again, this is another player that agents and representatives are shopping him around a little bit. Um, but I do wonder whether, whether he ticks that box for Tottenham whether he would be a striker that they can bring in who Conte could improve. Um, I don't think he's the biggest. I think he's about 5'10". So we're not talking like a kind of Vlajevic height. You know, we're not talking about that kind of big striker, but he certainly can play up front. He, and he has done for Angers as well. Um, yeah, one to be seen. I, I do wonder whether if Spurs did make a move for him, whether it'd be a bit like Pape Matosar that they'd sign him and loan him back. Uh, whether he's ready right now to come into the Premier League, but which is frustrating in itself. I get that. I can already hear the voices of people who's like, can you not just sign someone for now? And I understand that. Um, but yeah, uh, keep an eye on that one. Um, I, like I say, my gut tells me it's still, it's representative talk and agents offering. Um, and that's why we're seeing the links. But I do wonder whether he actually becomes an option for Tottenham because he is a very talented young player that a lot of clubs are starting to kind of scout and, and look at. So it is such a big week for Tottenham in terms of incomings and also getting players out the door. I think one thing fans maybe have at the back of the mind is, well, if Tottenham don't do it in terms of the transfer window, 
does Antonio Conte then walk? Would would he do that? Well, I did that piece, didn't I, a few weeks back, saying that from what I understood, some of the players were worried that if he didn't get what he wanted in this month, he might walk out the door. Um, what I very quickly backed that up with, or the caveat was that the club didn't believe that was the case whatsoever, um, which unfortunately some aggregator Twitter accounts decided to only take the first half of what I said rather than the second half as well. Um, I would be stunned if he took such drastic action now. For me, I believe the summer is the key window. I think I think he's admitted it himself many times that this month is a difficult one, despite the fact that, yes, he is continuously saying we still need people, and I, and I agree, I understand that. But I think the summer will really give Antonio Conte a sense of whether this project is actually a feasible one for him. You know, he'll be able to see in a window with far less restrictions and you'd imagine money will be made available with a they'll have had a full season at the stadium with you know crowds and concerts and nfl and all the money that should be coming in the whole point that that stadium was built for um i think the summer will be the crunch one i think what was it was it juventus was there one club where he walked out a couple of weeks into pre-season because he felt that he wasn't getting backed i'm trying to remember if it was juventus or not or did he go i'm not to sure his... but obviously yeah. Yeah. Inter Milan last season, they had financial problems and they had to sell obviously some of the key yes. names. And it was like Hakimi was one of those who went, Lukaku went later on in the window when Conte wasn't there. But uh, yeah, that's basically why he ended up going from Inter Milan last summer after leading them to uh, the Serie A title. So I think that's probably at the back of a lot of Tottenham fans' minds that Conte potentially could at some point, just get up and walk. For me, I agree with you. I think it's the summer window. I don't think there's going to be a large amount of transfer incoming to the club. Not what fans are wanting with maybe, you know, five, six, seven new faces coming in. I think it'll be a case of just get a few in, just most importantly, strengthen, and then, you know, try and get one of those Champions League places. And then in the summer... If they do get a top four finish, there should be more money there to strengthen, and that's when you back him and give him what you want. Yeah, it was it was at Juventus on the fifteenth of July in two thousand fourteen. He walked out, he resigned as manager just a couple right. of weeks into preseason, and then about a month later, um, Prandelli resigned from the Italy job, so Conte took over from that. So I think in my head, I first thought he just went straight to the Italy job, but he didn't. So. There is a past, there is a previous there. There is a, a precedent that has been set. You know, if he feels that something isn't workable, he, he will head off. Um, but then, oh, that's a difficult one. I mean, Conte didn't come into this job thinking he was taking on another Inter Milan, Juventus, or, or anyone like that. He, he, he was well aware of what the situation is at Tottenham, the situation that we all know and frustrates us on a daily basis and how Tottenham operate. Um, so it's not like he was coming in and was promised vast billions to spend or anything like this. He knew kind of he knew what the uh, what was what was in the cards. Um, but yeah, I think the summer is just so important. I think he needs to sh be shown that they can build his squad for him. It might not be his ideal squad. It might not be the dream squad that he could get at bigger, better, better funded clubs. But it needs to be what something that he can work with. You know, I don't think the team he won the Premier League with with Chelsea was the greatest squad ever assembled. And that's a club with a lot of money. I think he just, as a coach, was fantastic with them. And he gave them a system which worked. And, you know, a lot of people that season said that Spurs were the better club, you know, played the better football. They were more attracted to watch. But ultimately, uh, Chelsea got the job done. Um, and that's what they need. Tottenham need to give him, especially in the summer, a way of getting the job done. Um, but I still maintain there's a lot to play for this season. <laughs> there really is. You know, we, we've said it enough times how they are situated in the table, even after the Chelsea defeat with the games in hand, they can still be in a very strong position. If you just give him a little bit of help in this window, and, and I must admit some of the names I think Spurs have been linked with and we're seeing are not the kind of names that I think 
excite many people, even the Adama Traore stuff. I wonder how many people are actually desperately wanting to come to Tottenham, what percentage, and how many people are now in this stage of, just give us a transfer, anyone, Traore will do. And I just wonder, you know, a little bit of foreplanning, a little bit of foresight, and we know that the meeting ended up being quite late with Conte because he pushed it off a month or so because he was doing his evaluations. But still, I just it's so mind-boggling the Tottenham way in a transfer window. It's so frustrating, and I, I, I'd be you know it might be something that you and I can maybe go and look back at. But I'd be intrigued to see whether Paratici, when he was at Juve, would leave deals until late in the window, or whether he's been forced into the Tottenham way of doing things, or whether it is just the way he operates. You know, we know he. He has the number of sign a number of players lined up for each position he wants to fill in his squad. Um, you know, does that fit in with the Tottenham way of working, or do the two not really mesh very well? You'd think for a man that Levy tracked for like half a decade and wanted to bring Parasici to the club, um, you'd think he'd <laughs> he'd identify someone who'd work well within his setup. But um, yeah, it's very frustrating. I think people could probably tell that from our our tone in this podcast, but um, we'll see what happens in the coming days. Yeah, January is always the final week of the window where there tends to be a lot more movement. I don't think we've seen that many transfer incomings uh, in the first, you know, three weeks. Villa have probably been the ones that have done the most. Villa, Everton, Newcastle. uh, I don't think any of the top six have strengthened, have they, really, at the moment. So... And you've got to look at back, uh, I suppose, its previous deals. Lucas Moore, I think, was deadline day in 2018. Stephen Bergwijn was quite late on in the window, two years on. Jensen Fernandes. Yeah, (laughs) Jensen. I mean, even in summer windows, uh, a lot of Spurs' business has been towards the end. So hopefully it will be uh, a busy last six days in the market, I think. What is worth pointing out that regardless if there are transfers or not, Spurs' 11 should look a lot better come uh, the first Premier League game back against Southampton with hopefully some back from injury, Christian Romero as well. So they're two players who automatically strengthen the team and you just want Daniel Levy and Fabio Perastici just to you know give Antonio Conte and the team a further boost with you know a couple of additions that will hopefully give everyone a lift and fingers crossed Spurs come May will be in those top four places. Well, you know, you and I have said this enough times. If you just push a little bit more this month, you get in the top four, you make far more money than you probably spend this month. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like you're investing. It's an investment to get a higher, a better return. I, I, I don't understand it. And it's probably why I'm not a football chairman, but I don't get it. Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's episode. Six days left now in the transfer window until Monday's deadline. So, big few days coming up for Tottenham in terms of both incomings and outgoings. We'll be back at some point soon with hopefully some good news in the transfer market. Uh, But, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. So, as ever, thank you for tuning in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.